Well, it's a great pleasure and honor for me to be before you today again uh, to open up Lord's Word, explain, worship, and apply with you this morning. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to the letter, the first letter of Peter, chapter 1. First Peter, chapter 1. And uh, we'll be reading from verse 1 to 6 for context. But um, we'll be focusing this morning on verses 3 and 4. First Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the knowledge, the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the reading of God's word. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 uh, speaks about um, the preaching of Christ being an aroma from life to life to those who are being saved, and a stench of death to death to those who are perishing. And then he asked the question that I'm asking myself this morning, who is fit for these things? Well, I certainly am not. But I draw, I am confident in God's word, who is the power unto salvation for everyone who believes. With that in mind, I invite you to pray once more, and we will begin the exposition of God's word. Father Lord, before me this morning are people from all sorts of backgrounds, from all stages of life, all sorts of needs. And the biggest of needs is their spiritual need, their salvation, and their perseverance in faith. I pray, Lord, that you would do what I cannot do, that no man is fit to do, which is to save, to convict of sin, to give the gift of faith and repentance unto life, the gift of the new birth and a living hope. Father, I draw from you strength this morning, and I'm confident that you are able to save to the uttermost. 
I pray, Lord, encourage those who need encouragement, convict those who need conviction, strengthen those who need strengthening, and save those who are lost. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our last two sermons in 1 Peter 1, we have looked at um, um, that we should bless God. We should bless God for who He is. Especially, we focused especially on uh, the person of Jesus as it pertains to His human nature and His divine nature. This morning, we shall hopefully see that we should worship God, bless God, not only for who He is, but for what He's done for us. So, it says that He caused us to be born again to an inheritance. Verse 3. The idea is that of a child being born into a family where he has an inheritance. The idea is that this child is born into a family with an inheritance. And because the child trusts and is confident that their parents are speaking the truth, he is confident that the promise of having an inheritance is true. And he is expecting it. Now, if the child is expecting it, he has the hope of receiving that inheritance. And because the inheritance is not given, given now, but is promised for a future, then he hopes, he living, he's living now with the hope of receiving that inheritance later. So, we are children of God. God is the Father who is generating, or in this context, regenerating us into his family. The, ch the idea here is that the father who generates children, regenerates children, is God himself. And because we are children of God, we are born into an inheritance. Because we are children of God, we are heirs of God. Now, in a sense, everyone who is born, is born a child of God. In a sense, or at least in a couple of senses, we can say that everyone that lives today is a child of God. Everyone is a child of God in the sense that God is the creator. God is the one who creates all things and all people. So in that sense, we are all children of God. In another sense, uh, we are children of God, all of us, because... Um, we are made in the image and likeness of God. So we are children of God, made in the image and likeness of God. But because of the fall, because of sin, we have lost the sweet communion that we used to have as humans with God as our Father. We lost the sweet likeness to God, that sweet communion with God as our Father. And not only that, because of sin, we were cursed and we were cast away by God Himself for the just penalty of our sins. Not only were we alienated now from God, but we joined forces with His arch enemy, the devil. 
We join forces with the devil against God's law, against God's character, against God's holiness, against God's will. And now we are enemies outside Christ. We are enemies of God, joined forces with Satan himself. And to the extent that the Bible calls us now outside Christ, children of the devil. So, as humans, we have lost that sweet fellowship communion with God as our Father. However, this letter is addressed to the Apostle Peter here is addressing those who used to be children of the devil, but now they have been born again into a family of God, and they are now children of God, and they have an inheritance with God. They have been born again into a new family, the family of God. They were born into sin, destined to condemnation and wrath with no hope of escape, but now have been reborn into a living hope, into a God-given inheritance, a God-given portion, a God-given reward. So, the new birth. How do we become children of God in the fullest sense again? It's through the new birth. Look at me, with me in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So, He has caused us to be born again. This new birth reshapes our life. We are born loving sin, hating holiness. We are born again by God Himself into hating sin and loving holiness. This new birth is a supernatural rebirth. God supernaturally causes us to be born again in our soul into a new life. Sorry, brother, there is a bit of a feedback. It's, uh, thank you. This new birth rewires our affections. It rewires our perception of truth and rewires our perception of what is precious and what is worthless. We are born into sin and we love sin because we think sin is precious, because sinfulness is a good way of thinking is, is a good, is a precious thing and it is good. And we look at the Bible and we look at God and His holiness and we feel it that it is worthless. However, when we are born again, we are born again into a new life where our affections now are changed. It's not that we are now seeing things that were not there, but now we look at God and His holiness and His promises and His truth and His, by His word, and we see what was really there, but we could not see before because we are blind. Now we really see what was there all the time, but we never seen it like we see now. We see His word as precious. You see the way... The promise of salvation as precious, as rewarding, as profitable, as loving. And we look at sin and the lies of Satan and the false promises of sin and we reject it, we distrust it, and we reject it. Now, since we are children, we are heirs. And if we are heirs, we have the promise of an inheritance. So, 
We are supernaturally born again by God Himself because of His great mercy into an inheritance. It is by great mercy and is caused by God. We don't cause our new birth. It is God who causes it. And He, de he doesn't cause that because of anything in us, but because of His great mercy. You see, it is great mercy, not a little mercy, because our sins were great. Our fallenness is great. He needs great amount of mercy to be able to cause us to a new birth. We are caused then by God to be born again. If we are born again, we are born again, children of God with an inheritance from God himself. Now, this inheritance... His language of inheritance brings us back to the Old Testament Israel, where the people of Israel, they were given the promise of an inheritance, a portion, an earthly inheritance, the promised land, Canaan, a, a glorious land that was supposed to be flowing with milk and honey. They, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, eventually did inherit the land promised by God, However, they rebelled against God. God sent as a punishment, sent their enemies to them, invaded their land, and cast them out from their promised land. And they were then scattered throughout the world. And then now the Israelites, living as exiles in pagan nations, they were looking back to their land, and they were hoping to go back to their land. And that is the idea of inheritance. Now, in this text, however, we are not speaking about an earthly inheritance because look at with me in verse three, uh, 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So this inheritance is not an earthly inheritance because it is kept in heaven. It is a heavenly inheritance. The Israelites in the Old Testament hoped, and still many do, for their earthly lands to be fully restored in Palestine. As exiles in pagan nations, the Jews longed to go back to their promised land. But that earthly portion was just a foreshadow of the heavenly inheritance that believers are to receive in heaven. The earthly inheritance was given to those born into a Jewish family. The heavenly inheritance, however, is given to those who are born again into God's family, be they Gentiles or Jews alike. The people of Israel lived as exiles in foreign nations, longing to go back to their promised land. We, similarly, we live as people of God, children of God. We live as spiritual exiles on earth, longing to receive our promised land in heaven. So what is the inheritance? Our inheritance is all blessings of heaven, including the final and complete deliverance from sin and deliverance from sin's consequences. I'll say that again. Our inheritance is all blessings of heaven combined promised to us, including final, complete deliverance from sin and its effects. It is our mortal, tired, diseased, weak bodies being transformed into a glorified, sinless body. 
It is our sinful, proud, unloving, impatient souls being fully transformed into perfect, sinless souls. It is our sufferings, our trials, our disappointments, our pain being transformed into eternal joy in perfect union with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's our full and final salvation, our glorious eternal life. So, we looked at children of God, we looked at being born again by God to become children of God, and if we are children of God, we have an inheritance. We looked at what the inheritance is, namely eternal life, in the fullest sense. Let's look at the quality of this inheritance. Look at me, verse 4. The inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Imperishable. This inheritance cannot perish or be corrupted. It's not subject to decay. It cannot be worn out by time. It lasts forever, completely without any corruption. It's not only imperishable, it is undefiled. The inheritance is undefiled, is pure, is untainted. And because it is in heaven, it will always remain holy, undefiled, unspoiled, pure. It is unfading, and this may be less obvious. Um, have you ever hoped to get something, like a gift, or to buy something, or you're saving up to get something, and you're really looking forward to it. You're looking forward to the gift, you're looking forward to the thing that you're going to buy, it's going to arrive by the post, and you're just looking forward to it. You're expecting it with great joy. You anticipate what you're going to do with this thing, you tell your friends about this great thing that's arriving, you dream about it. Uh, maybe if you're a child, it's a, you know, a, a, a Christmas, gift or a birthday gift or something and you're really looking forward to that new bicycle you're looking forward to I don't know your new kitchen or um, a new car or something and you just think in your head and you're excited about it and you anticipating it and you're really excited about the whole thing however it does arrive and after a couple of hours of playing with it or you know looking at the car you look back and think Ah, it wasn't that much of a big deal. It wasn't that great. You know? It, it, you know, it, it's, it's really nice for a couple of hours, and then you start seeing the defects. Or you start, you, you start losing interest. And you're thinking, the glory of that gift, the glory of that new car or the new kitchen, whatever, is fading away. It's not as big of a deal as you thought it was. Perhaps you look back and how foolish I was to spend so much time researching this or anticipating this or talking about this. And in the end, after a couple of hours, I don't really care about it anymore. Now, we have sometimes a similar perception of heaven. We think heaven is going to be this floaty spirits in a foggy mist with angelic beings playing harp. And it's just, ah, and if that's all you do for eternity. 
Now, if you're honest, some of, most of us will never say this out loud, but if you have that idea, or someone says, that is heaven for you, you have this idea of like, that sounds boring. <laughs> you know, it's quite great that you're going to be in this place, and maybe it's the brightness of the, you know, place is really cool. And, but after a couple of hours, I can see myself just getting tired. Friends, let's leave behind all childish notions of heaven. If this earth, as corrupt and as tainted by sin as it is, as if this life, as corrupt, as full of suffering and trials and difficulties, is as great and as glorious as it is, imagine the next one, the new heavens and the new earth, where there will be no tainting of sin, there will be no defilement, there will be not perishable, it will not be corrupted, and it will not fade away. It will never lose its luster. It will never lose its vigor and beauty. It will remain ever so entertaining and pleasing to those who possess it. They will delight on it without the least weariness or distaste. Finally, with regards to the, the qualities of this inheritance then, it is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you. What it means there in the original is not that it's just there somewhere. It means this, that God himself took your inheritance placed it, guarded it, stored it up for you, and is now, even now, keeping it safe for you, if you are a child of God. So God is the one keeping it, and is it there? No one can steal it from Him. So, in summarizing the inheritance, our inheritance is eternal life, meaning the full and final deliverance from remaining sins in our lives and all its consequences. This glorious eternal life is not subject to decaying with time, spoiling by sin, fading of glory, and it is securely kept by God Himself in heaven. Now, because we have an inheritance and because we have faith, that he will, the one who is promising this inheritance is true and he is able to keep this inheritance for us, we have hope. But not only any hope, we have a living hope. I um, used to have a colleague at work and I remember asking him, um, he's an unbeliever, I asked him if he was concerned about where he would spend eternity. He told me he used to be concerned, but not anymore. The reason why he's not concerned anymore, he said, was that when his grandmother died, if I remember correctly, he was close to her uh, at the time of her death, and he was very fond of her, loved her much. When she died, he said he felt that she went to a nice place. He said he just had this overwhelming peace as she passed away. And then he was convinced that whatever is out there after we die, it's a good place. So now he's just 
unworried about it. Friends, unfortunately, sadly, that is a dead hope. It is a vain hope. It is an empty hope. It is a dead hope because it's based on things that cannot achieve what they promise. It's based on false feelings. It's based on intuition. It's based on a sort of a mystical encounter, ecstatic experience. It's a dead hope because it's a false hope. It's a false hope because the promiser of the hope cannot fulfill the promise. But that is not who we are if we are children of God. We, being children of God, we are living, we are born again into a living hope. It is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, the idea of being a living hope attached to the resurrection um, may not be as obvious as we think. But let me try my best in a short time explain. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but in Acts 5, 30 and 31, Acts 5, 30 and 31, it says this. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Then 31 says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. So in other words, the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus is proof that his sacrifice was accepted and the full payment for sins have been achieved. Since Christ died for our sins and he bore on himself the full wrath of God in his suffering and in his dying, he being born, he being raised from the dead and exalted, honored by God, is proof that what he went to die for has finished, has been accomplished. It's proof that his sacrifice for sins and his taking up the wrath of God has been fully appeased, paid for. There is nothing more to pay for. Therefore, he's raised back up to life because there is no reason for him to continue in death. Not only that, but he's exalted by God himself. Sit at my right hand while I'll make your enemies your footstool. And then he says, your name shall be above every other name. And the authority of Jesus is fully given to him. And there is no name that uh, no one, they will never bow their knees to Jesus. So, it is the hope is living because it's attached to the resurrection of the living Christ. That means that because he was raised again, we can be confident that though we die, we will also be raised again into the eternal life. Because he was raised again, we can be confident that he is truly the Son of God and that all his promises are true and that all our debt has been paid in full. Because when God, was, God the Father is raising Jesus back from the dead, He's basically saying, I approve of your sacrifice. I'm putting a stamp of approval, of satisfaction, of pleasing. I'm pleased with what you've done. You have accomplished. There is no reason to pay for anything anymore in death. So, as R.C. Sproul says, 
In the Bible, hope is not uncertainty of wishful thinking, but it is a confident expectation of future blessing. It is based on facts and promises. In other words, biblical hope has reference to something that is certain, but is not yet fully seen or experienced. And that is our living hope. It is a living hope because it is true and it is permanent. It's never going to die. It is uh, a living hope. We are born into a fleeting and a false hope, but we are born again into a genuine and permanent hope. Now, lastly, I would like to make some applications. Um, hopelessness. The Baker Encyclopedia of Psychology and Counseling defines hopeless in this way. Hopelessness. A sense of helplessness and pessimism can be characterized as the perception that the individual has no reason to try. Hopeless people see no relationship between their actions and their outcome. In other words, when you're hopeless, you don't think it matters. You don't believe that anything you do today might change tomorrow. Again, quote, in a uh, study on depression in 1967, we found that suicidal wishes had a higher correlation with hopelessness than any other symptom of depression. It seems reasonable to conclude that if hopelessness is so highly associated with the desire to kill oneself, then the presence of hope in the human psyche must be vitalizing and central to survival. In other words, you lose hope you lose your life. You lose hope, you kill yourself. Because you don't see point, meaning, purpose for carrying on. Life is full of difficulties, full of suffering, full of disappointments and frustration. If you don't have hope of a reward after those sufferings, then there is no point of bearing the sufferings. So all of us set our hope on something. All of us, believers and unbelievers alike, we are all hoping on something. I'm not talking about a sort of hope like, oh, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. Oh, I hope um, I don't get fired next week. Oh, I hope my parcel arrives from Royal Mail, finally. I'm talking about the expectation of a reward for our present troubles. I'm talking about that everyone has a hope for a future good outcome. And all of those who have hope that something good is coming, they will endure a lot of suffering. Everyone, believers and unbelievers alike. Think of it, a lot of people, most of us will put up with a lot of suffering and trouble and nonsense at work because we are looking for the salary in the end of the month, right? 
So everyone hopes to get something out of life. Everyone hopes to be happy and fulfilled and have a life of peace and pleasure. The question is not if you're hoping on something. The question is, what, where are you hoping to get that satisfaction, pleasure, fulfillment, reward? Where? Where do you place your hope to get that from? If your hope is on earthly things, it is a dead hope and is bound to disappoint you. You are bound to be disappointed, frustrated, and eventually lose hope altogether. But if you place, you place your hope on God and His inheritance, your hope will not be disappointed. And because it is permanent and true, you will never be disappointed. It is a living hope. The context of this letter is a context of suffering. If you look at your Bible again, please uh, look at uh, uh, um, verse 6 in chapter 1. Being grieved by various trials. Look at chapter 3, 14. Suffering for righteousness sake. In chapter 3, verse 16, they have been slandered. Chapter 4, verse 12, it mentions the fiery trial. Chapter 4 again, verse 14, they are insulted for the name of Christ. Verse 16 of chapter 4, suffering as a Christian. Verse 19, suffering according to God's will. So the context here is one of suffering. The Apostle Paul, uh, uh, Peter here is not saying, oh, you know, we have hope because our life is easy. Because there is no suffering and trial and persecution and slandering and diseases. No. The hope of full peace and full pleasure and full joy is a hope in heaven where we will have full, eternal peace, pleasure, joy, fulfillment, happiness beside our Savior. It is a God-given grace to experience a portion of that peace, pleasure, and joy right now. The pleasure and peace and fulfillment and happiness that we will enjoy forever with our Savior in heaven the hope of that is a grace to experience some of that pleasure even now on earth, even in the midst of suffering. So the promise of a glorious and secure eternity produces a helping hope for today. Perhaps this will be clearer uh, with an illustration. Think of it uh, this way. Uh, imagine there is a young boy, a young man, that he's left with a million pounds inheritance. But he's told he cannot receive the inheritance until he's 30 years old. Okay? Now, though it must be hard for this boy at the present time to be patient and to wait for his inheritance to be given, isn't he to be called blessed? Although at the moment he's enduring poverty, isn't he to be called rich? 
Although at the moment he's in, he's, uh, he won't, uh, sorry, won't the hope of the future inheritance make the trials and the present lighter and less meaningful? As this boy studies and he grows up and he plans his life and he works hard and he tries to be successful, say he's failing everything, he's struggling with everything, he's not being successful at all. Isn't the prospect of receiving the inheritance going to make it easier for him? That though he's suffering now, in a little while, all will be made right and all his efforts will be paid off? And all his enduring of poverty and struggles and suffering now will be rewarded and he'll count and it'll be enough? Because our Sometimes we despair and we lose hope in light of difficulties because our hope is set on what cannot fulfill its promises. If our hope, for example, is set on money, when we lose money, we lose our hope. If our hope is set on earthly health, on career, in comfort, in safety, in security, in our status or respect from others, when we lose those things, we lose our hope. However, if we place our hope in our glorious eternal life with our Lord, we may lose our health, but we won't lose our hope. We may lose our money, we may lose status, we may lose comfort, we may lose even our life. But though we die, we shall live because we have hope. But we never lose the hope that the Lord our God will make all things right in the right time. The promise, therefore, of blessing in heaven helps us to suffer on earth. The expectation of a glorious life after death motivates our life before death. Maybe today you have no hope. Maybe Today you have lost hope. You don't see meaning in your actions. You don't see the point in trying. Maybe you're like a person who is lost in the wilderness and there is this huge mountain. But he says, well, why would I put myself into the trouble of trying to climb the mountain to go through that path if there is no point? If on the other side there is no salvation of me being lost. If there is no hope of salvation of me getting back home or getting back to the path or finding the exit. Maybe you have hope, but you have a false hope. Maybe look at life in the mountain of life and you see that this is a huge struggle. You see it's really hard to climb. You see you're going to get hurt, but you still try anyway because you believe on the other side of the mountain there is salvation, there is a rescue team, or there is an exit path. But the problem is, there isn't any. There isn't any exit there because you have a false hope. Friends, place your hope in the only one that can fulfill the promise of salvation, of reward. 
of an inheritance. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who lived a perfect life that you could not live. He died a perfect death, paying for the penalty of your sins. And he was raised back up into life, being accepted, his sacrifice being accepted by God himself, saying, it is done, it is paid. All of those who believe in him shall have eternity in heaven with me and enjoy peace. You may not have, you have lost, may have lost your hope today and you don't see any point in carry on. But you don't need to be like that. You can place your hope in the only one that will not frustrate and disappoint you. His name is Jesus Christ. Maybe you do have a hope, but it's placed on wrong things, on earthly things, on false hopes. I plead with you, reconsider where you're placing your hope. The promiser, can he fulfill the promise? Can money fulfill its promise of peace and happiness? Can sin fulfill the promise of pleasure? Can the lies of Satan and false gods fulfill your life? They cannot. The only one that can is the Lord God Almighty. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Him we have eternal life. May God bless you. Let us pray. Father Lord, we thank you for we can have hope and we can have a living hope because you live. You lived, you died, and you were raised again and now you sit at the right hand of the throne of God and you have the power to keep our inheritance and to save us to the uttermost. Father Lord, I pray that those who have lost hope, they will regain but not false hope, but true hope in you. And those who have false hopes today, that they would see the folly of placing their trust in what cannot fulfill. I pray that they would repent and believe the gospel and be saved, becoming children of God and heirs of God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.